Shiitake Talk, the podcast from the MediaBias.com. I'm getting a split second of delay, and it's fucking me up. <laughs> uh, but we're here. We've got the whole crew together, uh, breaking some social distancing rules, but we're recording the podcast for everyone. Just one social distancing rule. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the main one. Yeah. But we are video conferencing and recording it. We've got Brent. Hello. Hey. <laughs> We've got David. Hello. TJ. Hey. And me, Chris. And we're going to talk about things we've been watching during these trying times. Um, I just realized since we're not used to this, it's going to sound like I'm way quicker than Brent and David. <laughs> just in <ended> life. <laughs> um, but so bear with us for these technical difficulties. Uh, we're just trying to keep content coming. Who wants to start with their watch list? Not everybody at once. <laughs> <laughs> I can go. I do, David. I don't, have a, I, I don't have a ton. Uh, I've been working from home a lot and got a two-year-old, so uh, life's not that different right now in terms of watching <laughs> stuff. Not a ton extra free time going on, maybe less with her not being in daycare. Uh, so I won't talk too much about the Frozen and Moana that we watched. Again, um, frozen. entertaining. <laughs> Frozen's frozen. <laughs> uh, it just was again. Moana is great though, and really vibe with the uh, the island has everything you need. That's basically our house motto right now. Are you also considering the coconut? Every day, and its leaves. Um, yeah. The only movie I've actually seen in the last week was. Uh, um, I saw it was on Amazon Prime, and it was a movie I liked a lot back in the day. I haven't seen it since, but I saw Up in the Air, George Clooney, Jason Reitman movie, 2009. Uh, have you guys seen that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I saw, saw it when it came out. I saw it on Christmas Day that year. Ooh. Yeah, I think I haven't <clears> seen it since it came out for that Oscar season when it's going up against Kurt Locker and stuff. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Um, especially watching people go in airplanes and hotels and not being freaked out is kind of comforting. <laughs> um, I always plus, get that uh, movie confused with the Hawaii George Clooney movie from the same time period. What's yeah, yeah. Descendants. Uh, Descendants. Yeah, only because it feels like movies were like coming out parties for different actresses in my world anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Anna Kendrick wasn't like on... A lot of people's radar at the time, I feel like, as a star anyway. I think she was only in, like, Twilight and, like, a Disney camp movie before that. Yeah. So it was her big thing, and so watching it again, she's she's really, really good in it. So was also, uh, I think, Far Miga. Yeah, but kind of made Vera Farmiga a household name, too, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Well, this was a couple years after uh, Departed, but she kind of has a side role in Departed, where she's kind and of... Just, uh, gets buried and departed with seven other actors that everybody knew beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. And she kind of has the no fun role in departed where she's like the kind of girlfriend who doesn't want anyone to kill. And as the audience want everybody to kill. <laughs> right. But uh really good movie. Uh, I think I pretty much like every single Jason Reitman movie I've seen. I haven't seen all of them though. I think men, women and children 
the movie he made with Adam Sandler that kind of just happened and stopped existing is the only one of his that I don't think I've seen. I think that's cool. Anything else you want to talk about? You've been playing any games? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I finally finished after um, watching Nilcat, got inspired to finally play and beat Final Fantasy 1. Uh, I did not do the Nightmare uh, NES version that they played. I played the kind of remastered version on the PSP. Uh, it's pretty, pretty uh, entertaining, standard fare RPG, although it is definitely uh, a lot less linear in terms of not knowing where to go. Um, it kind of just lets you explore the entire world before figuring out what you're supposed to do. But it's pretty entertaining and made more entertaining by listening with the NoCat guys through their uh, version of the events. Um, yeah. So I also have, also have Final Fantasy 2 on PSP, and I think I'm going to just try to play and beat every Final Fantasy. Um, I've, I've played and beat most of them, but at least like within the next, within like the last year or so, have having played and beat all of them. It sounds like a fun project during this. Well, what else am I going to do, right? Grow a beard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying so hard. <laughs> um, yeah, besides that, I'm kind of just like uh, finding some time to finish some video games I never finished. So I beat Spider-Man on PS4. Uh, really fun game. Uh, have you guys ever played that game? I've not. No. I've seen it played. It looks pretty bonkers. It looks really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it kind of reminds me of like Arkham games where it's just fun to kind of just roam through the city. Um, it's definitely got that vibe and just beat up random people with all your superhero abilities. Um, the story is, you kind of just get bothered by the story. It's like, I just want to keep collecting backpacks or a few missions. And I got to yeah. advance the story. Um, but it's an entertaining game. Came out a couple of years ago, sold like a billion copies. So it's I'm weird to me that it. uh, it's weird to me that they they haven't used that same sort of uh, uh, approach to so many more superheroes because they're all it all they would all be fun to play as you would think, and it worked so well for Arkham Asylum and the Arkham games. And it seems to have worked really well for the Spider-Man game. And obviously some superheroes are going to be more fun than others. Like Spider-Man, you get to fly through, I presume New York. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and Batman has the rogues gallery, which is really interesting, but I don't know. I would even play like a lesser known. Well, some lesser known. I don't know if I would buy a squirrel girl game, but maybe I would, who knows? I don't know much about her. Even an Aquaman game would be fun to be in the ocean. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's a lot of fun. Uh, and the other game they, playing. I was going to say, maybe this is how they save No Man's Sky. Just merge that with Superman. Open universe video game. <laughs> now we're good. Sure. We're making a Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. You just go planet to planet. Yeah. With your crew. Um, the other video game we've been playing, just uh, Killing Time, is we realized, we pulled up the Nintendo 64 and realized that Allison has a new Tetris that came out in like 1997. So oh, I remember that. that yeah. That's pretty entertaining. Allison is, uh, is very good at it. How has <laughs> it changed? Did that like introduce the competitive mode? 
Yeah, it's got the competitive mode where you can give each other garbage, like the junk lines. Like and it Dr. also, Mario, if you make a, yeah. yeah, if you make a perfect square, like four by four out of shapes without anything else extending, it turns into like a, uh, like a, either a silver or a gold block that gives you like double the amount of points. It can give you double the amount of garbage to send your opponent. Right. It's, uh, oh, that's neat. it's entertaining. So is that. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you got anything else, David? Uh, I think that's about it. Oh, the other thing I have is uh, reality TV stuff. Um, Top Chef has started. They yeah, I saw that. We Top haven't started Chef. it yet. Uh, okay. Yeah, they just had the second episode, and it's uh, it's just like a, it's kind of like a War of the Winners style, except everybody who went far but didn't win is on this Top Chef kind of all star season. And it Fun. takes place in uh, takes place in L.A. Um, they just had a a tribute to Jonathan Gold. He's a food critic. It's like his like hundred favorite restaurants. They get inspired by it and cook for a fest. I mean, it's Top Chef. It's basically the same thing every single week, but it's really entertaining. Cool. Brent, what have you been watching? Uh, I've been watching a lot of stuff. Um, I'll, I'll just go through a lot of its rewatches that I won't talk about. I've been plowing through some of the Marvel series, for example, but uh uh, I'm going to start with, I watched a movie, it might be one of the oldest movies we've ever talked about, uh, it's from 1920, and it is not a talkie, it's a silent movie called The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is, uh, no talkie. One, which is one of those movies that you always hear about being like super important, mm -hmm. it's one of the, the old classics that you're supposed to know, and uh, I can see why, it's, uh, it's really interesting in terms of set design, uh, but, and it's, it is good, but it's, it's, I think some of the horror aspects of that movie have sort of faded over time. I don't think it's still quite, uh, effective in that way. I think it's more important at this point than it is good. Um, mm -hmm. so it's, it's not a movie that I think you're missing a ton if you haven't seen it yet. Do you have any, anybody have any familiarity with it? A little like bit. I haven't watched it. German expressionism, like really angular, almost like uh, just painted scenes and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like uh, a lot of uh, door frames that are off kilter and windows that are not square and they're, they're sort of slanted and, and weird. And so it's just sort of nightmarish. Uh, and it does have a twist ending, which is, I think, was kind of a big deal for 1920. Um, but... Other than that, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's value all lies in its innovation, which if you're, if, if you're interested in that, then, then sure, watch it. But if it, I know like TJ, you're, for example, you're not as into movies just for the sake of how innovative they are. Right. I know you've talked about that before. So like, I don't know that I would recommend it to you, but it's, uh, uh, I guess as far as a taste of German expressionism, it's, it's not bad. It's, uh. The, the one thing I, I do like about the old silent movies is if you decide to watch one, they're super short. It's like an hour and 10 minutes. They feel like an, like a slightly longer episode of television. Yeah. Just like Metropolis. Super short. Well, yeah, that's the one <laughs> they're the right. one exception. Yeah. Right. 
I wonder if that, if that like, not that I'm disagreeing with you at all. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're right, and it makes sense that you would be. But I wonder if this just like discounts all horror movies pre a certain date. You know what I mean? But they're definitely not going to be scary anymore if that's the movie's goal in 1918. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm trying to think of like the earliest movie that I think is genuinely frightening in some ways, and I don't, I don't have enough like experience watching those movies to really. I mean, for me, it's probably like Night of the Hunter, which is what 50s. Yeah, yeah, the oldest movie that actually scares me still. Yeah, I don't know much about like M, which is yeah, 20s or 30s. It's supposed to be a great horror movie, but. yeah, this one's not particularly scary. It is just sort of like nightmarish without being scary. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched I a movie from... Go ahead. I get its name checked by, I feel like, Tim Burton a lot. Talking about the angular doors. That's like the netherworld of uh, Beetlejuice. That's like Penguin's whole... I think a Penguin's look is very influenced. I think Tim Burton said by uh, the doctor and that... Oh, that makes sense because I was I was sitting there watching it and I said, "Oh, this guy looks like the Danny DeVito in Batman Returns." So <laughs> maybe perfect. maybe the same person. Who knows? Um, it is very Tim Burton, which maybe is another reason that I just didn't connect to it as much. I'm not a huge fan of Burton's movies, and so that might be another reason that I um, didn't fall in love with this one. Uh, but I'll move on. 1995 movie called Fallen Angels. This is uh, from director. I want to make sure I get the make sure I say the right one. Wong Kar Wai. And it's a yeah, it's a it's it's an interesting movie. It's very, very 90s. Uh, It it feels like it's it's filmed like a 90s MTV music video. It's uh, it's about it's about two guys. I suppose it's about more than that, but it's about mostly follows two guys in Hong Kong. Uh, One is a a contract killer who is bored and wants to move on with his life and find something more fulfilling. And another is a guy who has, uh, I think escaped from prison and he, uh, he makes money by breaking into stores when they are closed and selling their goods to people um, basically by forcing the goods upon people. So he'll just run up to people and basically bully them into uh, buying ice cream or potato chips or whatever. And um, it's kind of about just uh, a group of people who kind of run into each other and lives intersect and that sort of thing. And it's a, it's it's a I, I really enjoyed it, but it's a hard movie to recommend because it's just one of those where if you'll know like ten minutes into the movie if this is your cup of tea or not. And uh, Wong Kar Wai movies are are all I don't know the the two that I've seen they're they're very contemplative about like loneliness in like bustling cities and whatnot. And so, um, I, it, this movie is very neon. A lot of neon interiors. It's a very green and blue and pink movie. So very but, nice. uh, yeah. Um, but I, I did enjoy it. I, I don't know. Have you ever, what else have you seen of Wong Kar Wai? 
Well, my favorite of his, it's one of my favorite movies, In the Mood for Love. Very uh, yeah. movie about loneliness in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, highly recommend Chunking Express. It's a pretty influential 90s uh, foreign film. So One of uh, Tarantino's favorites, I think. Yeah, I've heard of Chunking Express, and I, I should have probably watched that first because I was reading about this movie after I watched it, and uh, the plot lines from this were plot lines that he had planned for Chunking Express and uh, just couldn't find room for in his movie. And so he decided to make this movie after. Because I think that's also, what, 90, 93, 94 or so. Um, I think the only one, other one I've seen is 2046. It's like the two plots, one that happens in Hong Kong present day, and then one that happens in the year 2046. It's futuristic. It's got like the same characters playing, uh, same actors playing characters in two different time frames. I think, Chris, mm-hmm. haven't you seen 2046? No. Okay. I mean, yes and. <laughs> Uh, that's good too. That's good. I haven't <laughs> disliked anything I've seen from him so far. Well, in that case, I certainly would recommend uh, Fallen Angels to you, David, because I, I think you would, if you enjoyed all those others, I would assume that you would enjoy this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you see that on? Like, what was it streaming on? Uh, the Criterion Channel, I believe. Yeah, I think Criterion has a bunch of Wong Kar Wai right now. Uh, I did watch a 2020 movie. The Invisible Man. Yeah. Which uh, the last time we did a, a have you guys TJ have you talked about Invisible Man already on the podcast? Yes. Uh, Chris, have you seen it? I haven't. No. Oh, okay. Um, it's really good. It's uh, it's it's really good at at um, creating tension, and in a way that that movie has to be. Like that movie relies on creating tension, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. What did you? Uh, I, I praised it uh, a lot on that little podcast me and Chris did when we were just trying to fill some time. Mm-hmm. But uh, what did you not like about it? Maybe that's a harder question to to ask and answer. What did I not like about it? Um. Yeah, what's the problem? I don't I don't know that I had many problems with it. I think it was just and, and this isn't a problem. I think maybe the reason I don't maybe hold it in higher esteem is that I don't think it's a particularly ambitious movie. Um I think it's its theme and its message is pretty straightforward and on the nose and it's executed well, but not in a way that I don't I, don't, I guess I wasn't blown away by acting or uh, anything in that regard, even though I would mark it all as as good and above average. Like it's, I, I think she's very good in the movie. Um, yeah. Anytime you're acting alone a lot, I always tend to give extra points there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought the horror scenes were horrific. I thought they did a really good job. Uh, there's oh, a yeah. particular scene in a restaurant that's just, I think, uh, a a horror scene that will be. Uh, remembered for a while by me anyway because it's the first thing I think about when I talk about that movie. Yeah, it's maybe not my favorite scene in the movie, but it is the most right. memorable image of the movie to me. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really effective at what it does. Uh, yeah, 
<clears throat> I don't know. It's it, as far as a fairly simple thriller that has um, a bit more to say than just like it, I think it does reflect on real world issues um, or at least one real world issue. Um, but it's uh, it's pretty effective and I, I recommend it. And it's uh, it's the it's the one movie of 2020 that I've seen. And so 2020 is off to a banging start. Uh, what's, just the one, uh, what's the one real world issue to you? Um, well, like uh, it's domestic ghost. abuse. Yeah, domestic abuse. Also, like ghosting. Uh, like, like making she, making her think she's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Do, do, I, don't uh, I, I, I don't know if I agree with that as much. I don't know if she ever. I mean, I guess she did in the beginning a little bit, but. Um, I feel like that as a theme might not hold for long in that movie of her True. thinking she's crazy. Cause she's pretty convinced pretty early on. Um, yeah. But I Maybe guess less. other people thinking she's crazy is definitely a, a plot. Well, yeah, for me, it's also more of the act of, of trying to, to do that rather than the effect it actually has on her. Right. They're more like gaslighting than anything. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe Either way, it, it's 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 psychological torment. Yeah, um, I did like uh, Aldous Hodge in the movie too. I've seen him around a lot and stuff. I think he got his break in a shit. I can't remember the name of the TV show now with uh, Gabriel Byrne. I think where they like go find people and that have committed white collar crimes and uh, fuck them up. It's not called Pressure Point Suits. It's <laughs> leverage leverage yeah yeah hmm. he's but, good he's uh, the friend right yeah he's the the black uh friend who she stays with yeah yeah and uh his daughter is pretty good too and her last movie was horrible so that's good to see what was her last she movie was, she was the lead in a wrinkle in time yeah yeah that's unfortunate um yeah <laughs> It's just an unfortunate way for people to describe you for the next few years. Like, it's like, you know her. She was the lead in A Wrinkle in Time. Um, but I'll, one last movie I want to talk about is a 2019 movie that, uh, if I could amend my top 10 list, would play second now on my top 10 for 2019. And that is uh, uh, The uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire the French movie from last year. Uh, I watched yeah, I it last thought, night. Yeah, it just came to Hulu, right? Yes. And it exceeded the hype for me. Wow. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, I kind of went into it with arms crossed, just like, show me what you got, fancy French movie. And they nailed it. It's, uh, it's, it's just a... It, I don't. I don't think it's reinventing the wheel. I think it's a, a similar story of uh, people in uh, two people find each other in an unusual situation and eh, not not a crazy situation, but they um, f- fall in love. A love blossoms, and they know that there's a time limit on it, and so there's it's it's falling in love while there's some sadness, but also excitement, and it's uh, it's really effective. Um, in building the drama and I think the romance is 100% believable 
which is always the, the, the biggest trick in a movie like that. And it has some absolutely gorgeous imagery that will not leave me for a long time. And I, I can't recommend it enough. It's, it's a beautiful movie. And I haven't seen Les Miserables, but I feel like France fucked up. Maybe they had a yeah. shot. Yeah, it's, there's no way it's going to be in your top. Um, well, I can't wait to watch it. I, I've been looking forward to it. Too. I just thought it came to Hulu, so I'll that plus your recommendation, I'll definitely check it out. I did not pick up my phone once during that movie, which was wow. which is a yeah, it's a it's a test sometimes. Um, other than that, I guess uh, TV series. I did catch up on Watchmen while uh, this uh, quarantine thing started, and I loved Watchmen. Watchmen was so fun. It How was. Good is that? It was so good. Um, it's it was <laughs> it was good through the first half of the season, and then the back half of that season just really ramps it up. It's a completely different show. Yeah, it is so inventive. I mean, it's I don't know why I put it off so long. And, and David, you should probably feel the same way because it's it's Damon Lindelof, yeah. and so for those of us who loved the leftovers, I mean, it is it is more of the same. I think in terms of his storytelling uh the ways he he opens episodes and whatnot and there's a lot of wtf moments um but it's uh it's i think it's a great sequel to the book it's not so much a sequel to the movie from what i could tell so it Um, kind of is okay it is a bridge between the graphic novel and then the graphic novel series that came out in between the movie and the TV show. It incorporates all of that. Okay. So all like the red Fordations, all that stuff is in like the previous run from after the original. So, okay. I guess you're right. It's not a sequel to the movie, but in the way that the movie is just an adaptation of the original graphic novel, it is a sequel to both of those as source. Okay. I just noticed, I think, I guess I got it in my head that it was, it was more a sequel to the book because of the, the major event from 1985 right. was from the book, not the movie. And um, so I was explaining to Ashley, who has not read the book, she has seen the movie. I was explaining to her a lot of the, the, the differences here and there. And I'm sure I missed a lot and I, I didn't catch certain things because I've, all I've ever done is read the, read the original uh, graphic novel and watch the movie. So I don't know much about, like, I, I didn't know. I thought the Redford, the Redfordations were uh, invented by the TV show. I didn't, didn't know that. Well, there was also like a lot of media that came out before the TV show that wasn't like traditional where they would put out these, uh, like in games are called ARGs. They're probably called that with other TV shows too, but where there were like riddles that were kind of sprinkled out. Mm-hmm. for super fans to try and track down like what the fuck is going on before the show comes out. Yeah. So, the, nice, that too. the nice thing about the show is it can, it can, it manages to probably reference a lot of that stuff without relying on it. So like someone like me who didn't read any of it, I did not, I felt like I didn't miss a beat through the entire series. Yeah. I felt the same way. So can't recommend it enough. Uh, HBO's Watchmen. And then of course, like all of the internet, I have watched Tiger King. So, um, what, what a Marvel, like just, this is the most, this is the most bizarre thing. If it were fiction, no one would believe it. 
If it were fiction, I think it would be worse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's some of the best characters I've ever seen, counting fictional characters. Like they're just so wild. David, have you been on the Tiger King train yet? We haven't, but Allison is very excited to watch it, so we'll watch it pretty pretty soon, I'm sure. Yeah. We'll be the last few people. It's a fucking ride, man. <laughs> The, the fun game, David, you get to play uh, as you get near the end is like make a list of the most stable and normal people on the show. And making my top five was a guy who was probably the basis for Tony Montana. <laughs> 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 probably one of the, the, the most down-to-earth people on this, uh, on this series. Yeah, there's only really one person you sympathize with. And she's the person who escaped from Doc. Uh, oh, yeah. She's like the only person they interview that's like, oh, you're fucking normal. You weren't, yes. but now you are. Right. Right. Um, but anyway, obviously, I recommend Tiger King like the rest. Of, at, this, at this point, it's such a sensation that people need to see it, not, not even for its quality, but just to understand all the references that are going to come from this. Yeah, just to participate to in society. Right <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Escaping me. Uh, I watched one thing that I want to talk about, and Chris watched it too, so I'm going to jump in here. And uh, we watched The Hunt, um, a 2019 movie that ended up being a 2020 movie, directed by Craig Zobel. And uh, really, I would just say starring uh, Betty Gilpin and Hilary Swink. It's got a bunch of other names, pretty big names in it. Yeah. But uh, they're not really in it that much. It's averaging a three on Letterbox. Uh, yeah, <laughs> makes sense. It's a. Uh, I think Cass's uh, opinion on this is that they edited out a lot uh, in between when it was originally supposed to come out and when it did, and um, I kind of agree with her on that a little bit. Uh, the movie feels a little lost at times. Um, pretty much everything except for the first twenty minutes and the last twenty minutes is just weird. Um, I know what they were trying to do with like the plot and it's kind of interesting, but not enough for an hour in the middle of that movie. I don't think. Do you think it earns all the controversy and hype about it being evil that caused it to be delayed? It's not, it's not intentionally evil. That's the thing. It's like, most of it's delayed was just due to the shootings, right? Right. Like, I don't think it was like, I think it was just public shootings. Yeah, I mean, it is it is so on its face, just intentionally politically incorrect or whatever. Like, right. mm-hmm. it is a group of liberal elites who call themselves liberal elites uh, who've rounded up a bunch of mouthpieces from conservative meme internet spaces and who want, to fight, want them to fight to the death. And they want to hunt them. And that's the premise. So all of the jokes that you know, your high school aged brain could make about that, about, you know, nicknaming people snowflake and all that shit. It all happens. So like if you are super sensitive to the idea that like your political cabal gets made fun of in the most uh, obvious way, then yeah, you'll be, a, you'll, this movie will like fuck you up. But I don't think that anyone is that thin skinned, even the people that they are lampooning with it. Yeah, and I don't know who they're 
I don't know. I don't know what their own goal was other than maybe just to be funny. Right. And even still, those aren't like the funniest jokes in it. Like the the actual humor comes from like Betty Gilpin being kind of a badass and everyone underestimating her. And that's like and her basically her rolling her eyes at how ridiculous the whole scenario is. That's that's the humor in it for me, at least. Yeah, she's the only character who doesn't care. Right. <clears throat> but I don't know. I mean, I guess I would recommend it if you're just a movie fan because of its popularity right. before it came out. Um, but definitely nothing incredible here. Yeah, if you're really itching for a new movie, it's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all I got. There are a ton of movies on Letterboxd called The Hunt. <laughs> and I've been reading through the descriptions of some. Uh, and it seems like you may have watched one of the worst movies called The Hunt, according to Letterboxd scores. Uh, there's, I think the, the famous one is the 2012 movie with uh, Mads Mikkelsen, which is supposed to be great. I've never seen it. Um, it looks like, a, from what I understand about the movie, he's accused of being a pedophile, maybe? Yeah, um, I saw that. It was, a, uh, inter- it was an Academy Award nominee for Best Foreign Language. Uh, it's supposed to be great, but it's, uh, I've just never... It's hard to press play on Mads Mikkelsen is accused of being a pedophile. But uh, I was just reading the, 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 some of these, and there's a movie from 2006 uh, called The Hunt, and the tagline is, a great number of hunters, a great number of deer. Statistically, something was bound to go wrong. And For the deer? I don't understand yeah. that. Um, I think that's the point. It's, yeah, uh, it says uh, it's about a bow hunting enthusiast and his eight-year-old stepson and a former news cameraman are on a mission to make a deer hunting video. All that is needed to complete the video is a kill. Uh, they reluctantly decide to trespass onto a nearby property where there may be more abundant prey. Once inside the restricted area, they come upon some frightening realizations. The hunters have become the hunted. Three stars. So the same. <laughs> Do, yeah. TJ just pulled up the Wikipedia article. Uh, the end of the log line there is that they discover aliens. <laughs> Fun. Three stars as well. Um, yeah, so at, at this point, does is there some point where someone remarks that the hunters have become the hunted in this, the hunt? Probably. Yeah, I don't know. The dialogue is so <laughs> immemorable. It's a fine action movie, so... If that's what you're going to yeah. for. There's a 20 minute fight scene between Betty Gilpin and Hillary Spike. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Who's Betty Gilpin? What, what, what might I know her from? From Glow. She's Liberty Bell. Yeah, you wouldn't know her from anything, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, correct. You should watch Glow. <laughs> I should. Glow's great. Well, any, anyone else want to talk about what they've been watching? You're up, bud. Okay. <laughs> I was just seeing if, I don't know if Brent got cut off early or if you had more you wanted to talk about. So we all went, I believe. All right. Well, I haven't, I don't really want to talk about what I've been watching because I've been playing Doom Eternal. Uh, Cool. And it's fantastic. Uh, I like halfway through the game right now. I'm just playing the campaign out of the multiplayer and I just got the BFG. So I now have all the weapons in the game and it is so much fucking fun. It looks 
super fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they talk about how it's like, uh, like a, every room, every big like engagement is like a combat puzzle. And that's because there are just so many resources you're keeping track of. Um, and each of like the, the heavy demons have particular weaknesses to particular weapons. Um, so like the Arachnatron, who's a big brain in like a mechanized spider suit, has a turret on its back, which if you can hit it with the rifle or with like a sticky bomb that's an attachment to the shotgun, then fighting the Arachnatron becomes so much easier. Otherwise, you just get shredded by them. Um, so then you have to manage ammo in that aspect, manage threat levels by attacking weaknesses with certain weapons. But then you also have a shoulder-mounted flamethrower, which if you use it, gives you armor. You have, once enemies are staggered, like they've taken enough shots, uh, you can do a what's called a glory kill, which will give you health when you do, when you do it. It's like an execution. And then you have a chainsaw, which has fuel, and that gives you ammo for guns. So the loop's kind of evident there, where you're using your better weapons to destroy weak spots on demons, and then when that ammo runs low, you're running in to chainsaw someone, but if you're getting close, then you're taking damage, so you need to use the flamethrower or uh, a glory kill to get health and armor back, and then, you know, basically once you're topped up on health and ammo, health and armor and ammo, then you reset, and then you start, and then you evaluate for threats, and then you see, and you you know, all the while being chased by shit with like swords for hands or floating giant eyeballs with mouths that you're trying to like land pinpointed grenades into. Um, but it is a ton of fun. It is a game that runs at a hundred miles an hour. And I think I finally found why I enjoy the story despite it being so stupid because last night I was playing and <laughs> my mission objective was shoot a hole through Mars. <laughs> and so it just doesn't take itself seriously so I shot the hole through Mars and then I had to get to Mars the way that you do that is Doom Guy loads himself into a gun and you shoot yourself into the planet <laughs> <laughs> so you have sex with a planet <laughs> I mean I guess so in the way that sperm has sex with people so you get it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it's a great time uh, I'm playing on uh, the game not, that looks so chaotic. <laughs> it's <laughs> bananas. Uh, I'm playing on PS4, not even a PS4 Pro, and it runs great. I mean, it's still 60 frames per second. I thought at this point in the console cycle I'd be having performance issues with new games, but it runs like a fucking gem. It looks amazing. Yeah. It really does. It's a beautiful looking game. Did you play I also the love how on like the same day Doom Eternal came out, Animal Crossing came out? So it's like half the country is easing anxiety by visiting each other's islands and doing nice animal stuff. The other is having like anxiety, panic, like episodes through like demon orgy kills. Yeah. And my house is doing both. <laughs> uh, Kelly is playing Animal Crossing on the Switch, sitting on the couch while I sit like a foot from the TV, just like bouncing around in my chairs. I'm dodging shit. Did you play the, uh, the 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 Doom reboot from a few years ago? Yeah, I played yeah. 2016. Um, you mentioned the uh, the BFG, and uh, I, I think it'd be really funny if in a game one of your weapons was uh, you, you fire the BFG and it just uh, shows the movie the BFG on the side <laughs> of uh, whatever room you're in, and all monsters turn and just sit down and watch it, and you have to watch the whole movie. 
before they die. <laughs> I was confused because I didn't know that the, the, the story BFG was as old as it was. So when I saw a movie coming out with that title, I was like, don't they know that's the big fucking gun from Doom? And then I found out, like, oh, the story pretty old. Yeah, I actually thought that – so I think w- when I first – saw that Steven Spielberg will be directing the BFG. I was like, what the fuck? This is, <laughs> is going to be great. I don't know. Or horrible. Uh, and I yeah, shouldn't shit on it. I've never seen it. So, no. It's pretty good. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. That's it. That's all I want to talk about. I'm having a great time with Doom Eternal. I recommend it to anyone who is stuck at home and wants to kill shit. And it's like on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> So you recommend it to COVID-19? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we skipped Survivor when me and Chris did our little chat. So nothing crazy going on, but uh, I think we're a week away from Emerge now. Or I guess Emerge is happening tonight as you're listening to this on, on upload day. Um, and we'll probably get somebody back in soon after that, I would think. Man, it was funny. After the show, I called Brent. We were talking about Survivor, and I was like, I bet Sandra or Parvati goes home. That's what I told Brent. Then Brent, who knows a lot more about Survivor than I do, and I admit that, was like, I would be shocked if they went home. And I was like, okay, I'm sure Brent's right. And then I went over to your house, Chris, and Chris was like, I would be shocked if Sandra doesn't go home. And I changed my tune by that point. I was like, Brent said this, though. (laughs) And then Sandra goes home. And I'm like, God damn it, I'm right and wrong at the same time. I mean, it. Everything about the argument for her going home made perfect sense. It just I over overestimated her pride and her hubris of like I, I felt like she was going to need a say in the end as to like who who joins her, and I thought yeah. that would be overwhelming. She was absolutely correct in that she's um, uh, she's her her shot to win has pretty much evaporated. She has the worst chances of anybody out there right now. Um, yeah. But uh, also, I think 39, being out there for 36 days on season 39, really probably played a part in this, too. Like, she's she's been on Survivor now for – or she had been for 52 of 70-ish days. Um, so, if you're not going to win, she's she probably didn't want to hang out with Boston Robbie either. She was just like, I'm just going to retire. It's I'm, uh, yeah. I'm done. I was a little disappointed. I think it would have been fun to have her on the jury. But eh, other than that mm-hmm. – she wasn't going to win. But. No main man Rob, though, still kicking ass even on <laughs> What a good edit for him. Mm-hmm. Also, what a good move just to be like, there's nothing else to do here, so I memorized the island. <laughs> yeah. Of course he did. <laughs> yeah. And left his wife to take the rice off the fire back at camp. Yeah. It's like, all right, Rob, you go find the stuff. I guess I'll just make sure our camp stays fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge advantage. He's got a ride or die, no matter what happens. Like, he can be the one who makes all the big moves, and she doesn't give a fuck if he wins over her. I mean, yeah, they might care at, like, the dinner table when they're talking about it, but if she wins over him, he's not going to care. So, they have she's, an She's already advantage. done that, so yeah. 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 I'm still loving Rob on this season. I hope he gets back in. Uh, I'm uh, any by with him. Anytime spent with him, even on Edge of Extinction, is like time well spent. He's such like a charisma uh, magnet. Yeah, and I know like some people disagree, but I thought the 
isolation camp episode was fucking hilarious. Like I loved watching that. Watching them all sit in a circle. <laughs> oh yeah, that was very funny. funny. That was really funny. Yeah. Um, is there anybody you're rooting for that, uh, who, who are you rooting for among the people that are still in the game? Uh, Chris, I know probably Sophie. Yeah. yeah. Her uh, eyes just she, keep going up. She's very high on this. Yeah. Um, as far as rooting for though, I don't know, man. That's the problem I had with the, since we all got together and talked last, I feel like they took out a lot of my entertainment value and put it on the island by itself, mm-hmm. which is fine, but. You know, it's what you're going to get when you have all these badass players together. They're going to get rid of the people who they know they can't let get to the end, you know? As far as, like, mm-hmm. people who I would feel happiest for if they won, it it's probably, like, Sophie and Adam because I think it would just mean a lot to them and it would be really huge. But uh, as far as, like, for my entertainment value of the people still in the game, it's like, if Tony can win, this is going to be an all-time season for me if Tony wins. Um, and it's going to be an all-time season no matter what. But it's uh, if Tony manages to hang in there and win, that's just more magic than I can possibly imagine. Um, also, I'm really glad that you guys are all getting to finally uh, see how much fun Tyson is for TV. Tyson is fantastic. So yeah, he's, he's very witty and entertaining. Mm-hmm. He's very also... I like that he embraces his role as a villain. I know he was on the villain side for Heroes vs. Villains, but he is just an unapologetic asshole about everything he does. Yeah. Yeah. But that's and fun it's in not... a game where people get rewarded sometimes with a million dollars for playing nice for 40 days. Right. And he, he's a villain and he's an asshole, but not, but it, it's weird. He's an asshole, but not in like a mean way. He's like, he's like a, just a fun asshole. He's just a, I don't know. I, I, I certainly don't think he's he is vicious the way that some people out there might be. But yeah, yeah, I don't think a lot of people out there are vicious. I mean, I think Officer Sarah in the two seasons I've seen her now, I would say is vicious. But other than that, I don't know that anybody out there is like. I mean, maybe Sandra is like the next on that list for me. I guess you know? Wendell. Wendell's Wendell now, man. Right? Fuck Wendell. Like, as much as I loved him, he's an asshole this season. I, I think we're I like just seeing Wendell. somebody crack a little bit, <laughs> which is Maybe. just the, the pressure. And, I mean, he had the right strategy, which was go find his dom. And he did, and now he's kind of abandoning that strategy. Well, what do you think about the – I still like Wendell. I think some of that stuff's probably over-edited. Maybe I'm just a Wendell fan. But what do you think about the theory that him and uh, – is it Michelle that he yeah. kicked it with? are being overly performative about how at odds they are each other because of the whole weakness of off-island connections, trying to downplay that. So I have a very similar thought that I talked when I was talking to Al that there's a chance in my mind, a good chance, I think, that they knew they might be seen as a power couple coming in mm-hmm. just because of their history together and that there was a good chance they were like, we need to flip that and play it up so there's no chance of them thinking we're a power couple. Um, but at the same time, I don't know if an edit can make Wendell's passive aggressive comment to her <laughs> any more annoying to me than it was. It was like, Oh, well, thanks for teaching me how to play survivor essentially is what he said. Like, yeah. uh, that's an asshole thing to say when she really wasn't. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I know. I still like Wendell. I think that they're trying to downplay some stuff. He probably reminds me of how sniffy I would probably get if I were on there for that long. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> 
But uh, I don't know. The only person I'm really rooting against right now is Ben, probably, just because he, I don't know, he's just annoying me again. He's irritating. Yeah. He was, for the first couple episodes, I was like, oh, cool, Ben's not a dick. And then I was like, nope, this is how I felt at the end of Ben's season. He's the he's the most likely target, I think, after the merge, because he just, I, I feel like his connections to other people are probably the weakest. And um, if you don't want to show your cards just yet, maybe you pick somebody who everybody's pretty okay with. And yeah, going yeah. after Ben is not going after anybody's, you know, number one or anything like that, but. Um, right. Yeah. Did, did you think, let me ask this, this real quick. Do you think Nick made the right choice for himself when he voted out Yule? Because Wendell, yeah. Wendell read that Yule was coming after him and you, uh, you know, I think you will, Wendell was becoming a wild card. So you'll, uh, I think made an okay decision there. Um, Michelle pretty much had to go with whatever the majority was going to be. Um, so it really comes down to Nick made making the call for that for this week's episode and so you think it was the right call to get rid of Yule and keep Wendell yeah and here's my theory on that when you have a player like Yule who's a master strategist and tactician if you do follow his plan the whole way and then you are in your final four or final three and you're sitting next to him you have no resume you have no justification to win the game so you might make the final final three, but you're never winning with Yule. So he has to go at some point. The other problem with Yule being in your alliance is if you ever come to him with a strategy of who to vote out, unless it fits within his logic or his plan, then you're going to be deemed as a wild card. Wendell was legitimately a wild card. But if you're Nick and you want to say, hey, Yule, what about this other plan? If it doesn't fit within his scheme, then you are now one of Yule's targets because Yule targets people he can't anticipate their movement. So getting rid of Yule, I think, is a great idea for anyone who's trying to play a game that an alliance carries them to the end and not like immunity idols and challenge wins uh, because you can't sit with him at the end. You can't sit with someone like Yule or Sophie who are planning all the moves and then you can't go against them publicly or they will target their alliance against you. I definitely don't think I, think I definitely think it was a correct move to get rid of Yule there, but I don't I don't think Nick should get more credit than Michelle for that move. I think both of them just realized they got to pick who's going on. And they decided on I think for that for that side of the vote, I think it was smart, especially with merge coming up and Wendell or uh Yule getting to link up with more people there and become more dangerous. I think he's, he was, uh, he was my favorite and my, my number one to win before that. You know, you never know with the people coming in. I'm sure there'll probably be multiple chances for people to come in. There's still a chance, but I think he was a lot more dangerous than, uh, than Wendell to be next to and go further with. Yeah. Yeah. I asked because it, it's, it's been difficult for me to quite decide how I feel about Nick's Nick's pick. Um, yeah. Is there, did I miss something on that? Cause we did have bad like recording on that episode on why it would be Nick's pick and not like why Michelle's the one that had to go with majority and not Nick there. Well, I think that Michelle who is already on the outside of this Alliance coming in, I think when the Alliance starts to fracture, you just let it fracture and you kind of, the last thing you want to do in that position is start calling shots. I think. So I think that's why Michelle was mostly just like, 
I'm going to go talk to Nick in whichever way Nick wants to go. Is, uh, I, I'm pretty good with that. I think that's the smart play for her because the last thing you want to do is start trying to grab the power in that situation, which is going to make possibly all three of them just gel back together. Um, yeah. That, that's the way. That's why I was thinking Michelle's best move was just to stay out of it for this one vote and survive the vote, which uh, I, yeah, I think that's everybody's best move for the most part. You know what I mean? Yeah, get to merge. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, obviously, it was a better move for Yule <laughs> than what happened. Yeah. Um, it's just yeah. interesting because Yule went to Michelle first before he went to Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least Yule thought Michelle needed convincing. You know what I mean? To vote out Wendell. Whereas I well, feel like if, if Yule would have read it the other way, he probably would have gone to Nick first because Michelle was going to do whatever she was told. I see what you're saying. I just totally missed that. So now I'm, I might have to go back and rewatch. And again, we had a bad recording when we watched it. So I may have missed some edits. Um, but I might go back and rewatch that episode because I just didn't get that vibe at all. So that's well, and we may not have even been shown the, the full order of things. We were oh, probably yeah. shown the best. Right. Uh, the best captured. Um, yeah, I get, but my point is that we watched the same thing roughly and we got two different outcomes from it, which makes for a good episode of Survivor, I think. So I might go back and rewatch it and look at it that other way. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I do wonder about Wendell and Michelle, possibly uh, about David's, their relationship. Yeah, David's theory. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know what, uh, I mean, you know, Occam's Razor is that Wendell got stuck on a fucking tribe with his ex-girlfriend and just is trying to make the merge as fast as possible. <laughs> no, she'll still be there. She'll be there with 10 other people instead of two other people. Yeah. My, my main concern for Nick at this point is that this is going to alienate Sophie, uh, who has, through Sarah, a lot of connections now. And... Nick is going to wind up on that list of like easy early boots in, in the post merge. Whereas right. I feel like sticking with Yule solidifies himself and you can try to get rid of Yule at eight, nine people left. Maybe. I'm, maybe I'm so frustrated with Nick this season because I think that he's made the right calls with who he's voting for, but what made his season so great and what made him, I think like a really worthy winner was his ability to go and make one-on-one contact with people. And maybe we're not seeing that, but like, you know, we had all those nicknames he had for his two personal alliances, and that was just phenomenal TV. So if it is happening, I feel like they would show it. Right. So I just now assume that the absence of evidence is that it's not happening. Right. He might be a little more starstruck, too, than others on the island. You know what I mean? A lot of people are kind of scared, I think, to go full-fledged the way they did their winter season. I mean, we're getting the most tempered, neutered Tony that we've seen. Um, although, man, I lifted my arms and rejoiced out loud when he said, there's one thing I got to do, build a spy shack. And I was like, yay, spy shacks are back, baby. Man, happy. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's like Sarah's kind of not – she hasn't gotten too devious yet, and – a lot of the people, I think, I think people are probably concerned about Nick coming in as a recent winner, 
who forged a lot of, like you said, uh, alliances. And so I, I wonder if he's just being careful not to do that. Um, yeah. I think being split into three groups has kind of downplayed the dynamic moves you could do. Like Sarah, uh, Officer Sarah was in a minority from her original tribe in that group. And then like Tony was in the majority of his group. So it's not like they have to do anything crazy or they're just doing the obvious thing in the minority to get to the merge. And plus the show is splitting with all the biggest personalities are now on edge of extinction. So they're given time there. You think that could be part of it? Yeah. You know, what's funny is since the three tribes split, the uh, someone from the tribe with majority has gone home in all three tribal councils from, from the original tribe. If you go by majority, as far hmm. as like original tribal lines, because it was Rob, Ben and Adam had an advantage over Sophie and Sarah and Rob went home. You had uh, Kim, Sandra and Tony with an advantage over Jeremy and Denise, Denise. and Sandra gamed herself out of the game frustratingly. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the three, three fourths of that, alliance that we thought was pretty strong that has just that, that fell apart mostly due to i think wendell but it's uh yeah yule went home so it's it's been a uh, yeah, okay par- yeah, parvity parvity yeah. parvity so they've gone to two right you've had four right. votes but three-fourths of the people who've been sent home uh and, and what's also interesting what? is they're picking off old uh old players too I was just about to say that's not interesting, but yes, <laughs> interesting in that way where it's just like, man, they're going by the book, getting rid yeah, of these Jeff people Prince that they don't want to don't want to have to vote for. Jeff Probst will not let you forget that. Yeah, either. yeah, right. I think it's a really valid strategy, though, because sure, you you get two mm-hmm. things when you eliminate one of these people, like Sandra or Parvati or Rob. You get the resume where you automatically get clout, despite like. Rob could be playing his worst game of Survivor he's ever played. But because you wrote it Bob, Rob out, in the eyes of the jury, you still get kudos for mm-hmm. some reason. But also, if you're at the end of the game, this is like my, me talking through the Yule vote. If you're at the end of the game and Yule's still there, the jury might look at you and go, why did you let this legend make it this far with you? Like, mm-hmm. get rid of them early. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't think there's a reason for keeping any of these like quote unquote old school people in the game. Like you fucking get rid of them as fast as you can. Yeah. I wonder if it makes it easier to like do moves the next couple weeks, not even at the final, but like, let's say you're trying to maneuver around thinking what Rob's going to do. You're taking into account what he's done here. And then you have like so many years and hours that you probably overthink it of like the myth of Rob. Is he going against what he usually does? Are you reverse psychologizing? Whereas like newer players, maybe you're just like you're making simpler moves because you don't have the, the myth of them that you're playing against and playing against them. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, I mean, like in previous seasons where it had returning players versus new players, it was always astounding to me when people would keep returning players around. Like, everyone should just kind of have in the back of their mind that like the first thing they should do is get rid of any fucking returning players. Like for whatever reason, they have connections, they have experience, they have whatever, like get rid of them ASAP and then start playing the game when they're all gone at the merge, whatever, whenever that time happens. So then in this, like anytime there's like two 
naturally separated groups like that the young kids are were like infighting and trying to vote like I, I never thought that that was on the table whenever they like the edit would show like oh well maybe Wendell will go home it's like no fucking way uh, they should always be voting out one of these like old school legends yeah I don't know so like long way to say I agree with TJ it's been not the best TV for me because I think that it is just such an obvious move. It's the move that I would try and orchestrate if I were playing and I would not play great. Right. And I'm hoping that's just a function of being three teams at the same time. It's you're always doing the obvious move. You know, yeah. kind of get forward. Whereas it should ramp up with the merge. And I thought it was more ramped up when there were two groups rather than three. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. It should be fun going forward. Yeah. Well, well cool. What, what should we go to the theater to see this week? Yeah. Just kidding. I just realized that segment was coming up, but that segment won't exist now. Yeah. We, uh, last time we talked, we, we, we did breezy, but it was all just sad news. Like, these are the things that are getting mm-hmm. canceled. Except for Jared Leto. <laughs> except, yeah, except we broke the Jared Leto story before uh, it like, hit <laughs> late night shows. Uh, I heard that. I love that on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, but so I don't know if there's any news that people want to talk about. We can slot that in here. But if it's just about sad shit that the coronavirus is making stuff get pushed back, I really don't care. I was hoping there was some way for Survivor to elongate the season, like go back and edit more. Like you've got the footage now. You know you're not gonna have. We're not gonna have Survivor for like a year probably. I feel like I can make the season last like six months longer. Yeah, wouldn't you watch unedited footage? It'd be so relaxing. We're watching. Uh, If there were just like cameras on the island, yes, I would watch that all the time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Stars has a thing where they do Big Brother After Dark, where it's just the camera that runs, right? And people watch it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? But yeah, so if you guys don't have any news, then I think we're gonna wind this wind this thing down. Wind this yeah. thing up. Do it. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. I'm gonna take my headphone out while I do this outro because I can't fucking deal with the playback. <laughs> so uh I'm gonna thank everyone for being here at the top. Thanks, TJ. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, David. And this has been Talkie Talk, the podcast from MediaBias.com. You can find us on Facebook, get our groups, TV Bias, Movies Bias, Games Bias. You can send us an email to MediaBias at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at the Media Bias on Twitter. Uh, you can give us a rating on your favorite pod snatching app. We will try and keep these regular. Give us five stars, or if you've unlocked that secret six star, we would appreciate that too. Uh, special thanks to intro music by the Willow Walkers. Willow Walkers. Willow Walkers. <laughs> they tried to incorporate delay on David's end. <laughs> And then special thanks to Boobie for the outro. All right, thanks, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.